Good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. I am really looking forward to this time that we have together. Um, We're in a series called Here, where we've been speaking about the incarnation and that Jesus, the reality of him being Emmanuel, God with us, exactly where we are. Not there, where we think we should be, where we thought we would be, or even where we want to be, but here, exactly where we are. We spoke for the past few weeks about these ideas that hope is here, that mercy is here, that joy is here. And today we're going to speak about a different topic in John chapter 14. So you can turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to John chapter 14, verse 27. And in the same way that AJ said, uh, we're not going to be on Amazon. Also, don't be on ESPN to watch Messi win because he's going to do it. John chapter 14, verse 25 through 27. You watching the World Cup? No? John chapter 14, verse 25 through 27 says this. In these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. What I want to talk about for the next few minutes that we're together is two thoughts. One, peace with God. And two, the peace of God. I want to title this message, Peace is Here. Would you pray with me for a minute? Lord Jesus, we love you. (laughs) You are the reason for all of this. Outside and inside this room, you're the reason for it all. And Lord, we submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture once again. We submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ once again. Saying, Father, if you're not glorified in any other place, be glorified in this place. And if you're not glorified in any other heart, Lord, would you be glorified in this heart? Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Peace is here. Here. In John chapter 14, where we're at right now, this is um, one of my favorite chapters and even um, uh, portions of Scripture in all of the Bible. At this point here where we find Jesus, if you're not familiar, is that this is the upper room discourse is what theologians call it. Um, It's the portion of time before Jesus goes to the cross and it's before Passion Week. We sometimes think of the upper room as the place where Jesus breathed on the disciples after the resurrection. They received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in new tongues and they were sent out then to proclaim the gospel and make disciples and baptize people in the name of Jesus. And there's a different upper room before He goes to the cross at this time around John chapter 13, 14, 15. 
around 16, where Jesus is about to go to the cross and he isn't there yet. Jesus has gathered all of his best friends, his disciples. He's pretty much having a small group right here in John chapter 14. And he's giving and promising amazing things in this chapter. As Jesus is talking with his best friends, he promises the Holy Spirit. He has washed the disciples' feet. He says that there's going to be one that comes after me, the helper, who is actually going to help you. It's going to be an advantage to you that I go, and you're actually not going to be uh, uh, sad. You're actually, it's going to be better for you that I leave. He uh, washes their feet. He promises them the Holy Spirit. He says that you're going to do greater things than I ever did. He says, for the glory of God, the Father, you will do greater things. He even says that I am going to be delivered up to the Romans and then be crucified. But don't worry, have peace. And it's a really interesting context for Jesus to say. It's, it's necessary, but it's so interesting because this is the place where obviously you would consider that they have the least peace. I mean, these guys knew Jesus was the Christ at this point, but he was still far different than exactly what they thought that he would be. And amidst all of this, Jesus says, have peace. See, Jesus never asks you to do something that he is not first willing to do himself. And Jesus tells the disciples to have peace amidst this portion of scripture and in his life where he knows maybe about a few hours from this point. This is about the last day that he is alive before he goes to the cross. And he knows that the next few hours of his life mean that he is going to be wrongly accused. He's going to be left by all of his friends. He's going to be condemned by the people who he was sent to save. Rome is going to now actually uh, uh, sentence him to death. He's going to be flogged spit on, betrayed, left naked, and hanging on a cross to die. And then he tells them, have peace. You see, Jesus never asks us to do something he's first not willing to do himself. We know that Jesus has peace because he gets to the garden and then he prays, even though he doesn't want to, he prays to the Father. He says, I don't want to do it, but yet not my will, but yours be done. And now Jesus has this overwhelming peace that he is now trying to comfort them. The peace with God. There are over 7,000 promises in the scriptures, if you count them. And for some of us, maybe we might think of peace as almost like the long lost promise of Jesus. That I've heard about it, I've seen it somewhere, and maybe some people over there have it. Maybe it's reserved for the really, really special Christians, like the missionaries or the pastors or the people who have really, really big callings or really, really big. They have the peace of God. But for me, it seems like the long lost promise because I've never actually experienced this true peace that Jesus is actually talking about. And sometimes I think that we honestly don't ask Jesus for things because we feel like we don't deserve them. And sometimes we don't ask Jesus for things because we think we don't need them. And if you're in the room right now and you're saying, I don't feel like I deserve that peace that Jesus offers, I would look at you and I would say, you don't. You don't deserve the peace that Jesus offers. And yet... He desperately wants to give it to you. And if you're sitting in this room or watching online and you're saying, well, I don't think I need the peace that Jesus offers. I would say to you, you do. You need it more 
than you've ever needed anything in your entire life. You need peace with God more than you need food. You need peace with God more than you need financial stability. You need peace with God more than you need healthy relationships. You need peace with God more than you need to be able to have a home to go back to before, but more than you need air in your lungs. You need peace with God more than you need health in your body. You need peace with God more than anything else. Because if you don't have peace with God, you don't have anything. And you can live this life like a vapor, but at the end of the day, we are here today and gone tomorrow. And if we are missing the one thing that we actually need, which is peace with our creator, and we have everything else, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? You need peace with God more than you need anything else. And he desperately wants to give it to you. And ultimately, I think that peace really is the prize for most of our lives. Like we spend most of our lives knowingly or unknowingly pursuing peace. Why do you work so hard at your job? Maybe you just want to be rich, but maybe you want financial stability and you want to be able to get to the end of your life and have peace that you're going to be taken care of. Why do you work so hard with your family, even though it's the most difficult thing that you've ever done in your life? I don't think it's because you just want to show off your kids as so successful to all of your friends. I don't think it's just because you don't want to fight with your wife. I don't think it's just because you want to have a good perception with everybody else. I think that you know the most important relationships in your life, they require peace. Why do you work so hard at your mental health and keeping yourself healthy? Why do you work so hard in your physical body and keeping your physical body healthy? Maybe you just want to look hot. Maybe you just want to post on Instagram. But I think maybe you realize at the end of my life, I don't want to deal with the issues that could occur in my body. I want peace within myself. I believe all of us are actually pursuing peace in one way or another. For most of us, peace is really what we're aiming for. And peace with God is the ultimate goal. And the reason that this is so important is because that some of us do not have peace with God. And it's not because he hasn't extended it. It's because we haven't accepted it. He has extended peace to you. Peace with him has been offered to us. Or you might be sitting in this room and you say, I I do have peace with God. And whether you don't have peace with God and you're sitting in this room right now and you feel something in your spirit that says, I don't feel like something is right. There's something that's off between me and God and I don't really know how to put a finger on it. I would say to you, and if you're sitting in this room also and you're saying, man, I think I have peace with God, I would give you the same message is that I have really good news for you that you can have peace with God. The reason I know that you can have peace with God 
And this peace with God is this general peace. It's this um, matter-of-fact peace. It's, this, it's, it's that it doesn't care about your feelings. It's not dependent on circumstances. It's not about if you feel like you're at peace with God, it just is. You are at peace with God. No matter what, no matter how you feel or what you're going through, you can have peace with God and be secure in your relationship with him. Why do I know that that's possible? It's because Romans chapter 5, verse 1 simply says this. Therefore, since we have have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace with God? It's through the person of Jesus. And the really good news I have to share with you today is that God loved you so much that he died for you. That he died on a cross while you were still a sinner and while you were, said in Romans, the ungodly. Because we have been justified by his blood, we are now saved from the wrath of God that was actually completely satisfied and poured out on Jesus. And because of that, we are totally and completely reconciled to God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus. And we are saved by grace and through faith. And it's not an act of works so that no man, woman, or child can boast, but it is a free gift of God. And because he is rich in mercy, and it says in Ephesians, because of the great love with which he loved you, he made you alive together with Christ. And it is by grace that you have been saved. And now he has seated you with him in heavenly places, and he has prepared good works for you in advance that you might walk in them. And if we would repent from our sins and we would turn towards him, he would joyfully receive you into his presence and you would be with him forever and ever. Can somebody say amen? Amen. That's how you can have peace with God. And that is the most important thing that you could ever have. And it all comes through one man and his name is Jesus. And so if you are in Christ, you have peace peace with God. It's not a matter of if you feel it or if you don't, if you're feeling like you have a good day or a bad day, it is what it is. You are at peace with God. And his peace isn't like our peace. His peace is different than our peace. You see, this peace with God, it's, it's a gift. It's given to us. It's not by what we did. It's totally by what he did. And we receive this peace of God through faith, and it's by grace. And as we get to this point, Jesus looks at his best friends amidst all of the issues. And one of the first things he says to them is he says, don't be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled. And Jesus says this as he's about to have all of his friends betray him. He's going to have one person actually betray him specifically. He's going to have another one deny him, another one run for the hills. He's going to have one friend left. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. This is the circumstance that Jesus is in. He knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to be crucified. He knows he's about to be betrayed. It's going to be the worst day of his life. And he's telling this to all of his best friends. And the one thing he can say is, don't be troubled. I think it's funny, kind of ironic, like I was looking at this text and Jesus never says, let your hearts be encouraged and secure. He always says, do not let your hearts be troubled. It's interesting because 
I really think the reason that Jesus says this is because naturally our hearts do not lean towards peace. They lean towards chaos. And so when he says, do not let your heart be troubled, he's saying, I know that naturally if you're left to yourself, your heart is going to be troubled. How many of us naturally, if we're left to ourselves, we're just going to end up encouraging ourselves. We're just going to end up being all happy and joyful and at peace and encouraged. And we're going to love life and we're going to be our own best cheerleader. If we're being honest, most of us, if we're left to ourselves, we're going to spend most of our time just trying to keep our head above water. And the Lord is saying, not let your heart be encouraged because like it's so natural and easy for us. No, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Why? I believe that he says this because what the psalmist said in Psalm chapter 103. He says that God remembers that we are formed from the dust. He remembers that we're weak. He he knows that our hearts, if we're left to ourselves, are going to lean away from God, not towards God. And I believe that's why Jesus gave peace as a gift to us and not a work for us to do. Because he knows that it's not natural for our hearts to lean towards peace. He knows that it's difficult because our souls are just like the waves. They're here one point and they're the next point. That we are fickle and actually not secure creatures. And he says, I know that peace isn't natural and easy for you. It will be very difficult for you to lean that way. So I'm not going to make you work for it. I'm going to give it to you. He gives you peace. It's not like the world gives. And now out of response, if I'm in peace with God, now I encourage you fight against the temptation that lets your heart drift away from God because you're insecure about your status with God, but be confident and secure in the position that Jesus died and purchased for you to have in relation with the Father. And I will echo what Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled because you have peace with God if you are in Christ Jesus. Peace with God. And then the peace of God. There's peace with God and there's the peace of God. And the peace of God, to be honest, is probably the peace that most of us really want. But the thing is, you can never truly have peace of God unless you have peace with God. You need to first have an understanding and an actual relationship bought by Jesus for you to have with the Father before you can experience all of the promises that Jesus wants to extend to you. The peace of God is the specific peace. If the peace of God is the general, matter of fact, nothing changes, doesn't matter how you feel, it is what it is. You today, tomorrow, and forever are at peace with God. Peace of God is the specific peace. It's actually catering to your circumstances. This is the peace that goes beyond your understanding. This is the peace that meets you in the middle. This is the peace that caters to where you are. And Jesus says, this is the peace that the world doesn't give. You see, because Jesus acknowledges, he, he's not a fool. He doesn't understand that there are different kinds of peace. And Jesus says, I, peace I give to you and peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Because why? Jesus knows that the world gives a kind of peace. It's a kind of peace. It's not true biblical peace that Jesus is offering, but Jesus does give a kind, or the world does give a kind of peace, but it's a circumstantial peace. 
It's always a their peace. It's a when I get to the vacation and when my marriage is perfect and when my kids are behaving and when I get the retirement and when my boss starts tripping and when I get all the followers and when it's always out there. It's when my friends stop being so dramatic. It's when my body is healthy. It's when I get into college. It's when I get the, it's always out there. But Jesus says, it's not, I don't give you peace like the world does. I give you a peace that is different. It's a here peace, which means that no matter where you are, you can have peace with God. You don't have to wait till you get there and get to the job and your family is perfect, but Jesus holds out and extends to you the true peace, which is a peace that meets you right here. Not like the world gives, do I give you peace, but I give you my peace. Why? Because Jesus can only give from who he is. And Jesus can't give a circumstantial peace because he is not a circumstantial God. Jesus can't give a temporary peace because he is not a temporary God. The reason why the Lord can give us a supernatural peace is because he is a supernatural God. A supernatural God affords us supernatural peace. A steadfast God affords us steadfast peace. A more than enough beginning and the end and everything in between God affords us a more than enough beginning and the end and everything in between kind of peace. It's different than what the world gives. And he says, I love it. Jesus says, my peace I give to you and my peace I leave with you. I love it because Jesus is saying, it starts with me, it's formed in me, and it's distributed by me. It's mine. Nobody else can give it. Don't look anywhere else for it. It only comes from me, by me, and through me. And if you want it, you're going to have to come to me. It's my peace. And you can't get this peace in another place. He distributes it. And this is the reality that the same peace, listen, the same peace that governed Jesus's life, he now offers to you. That is the promise. He says, my peace, the same peace that he lived in, the same peace that was placed on him. Isaiah teaches us that he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. What? Prince of peace. The father had placed peace on Jesus. And Isaiah prophesies that that is who he will be. And now that Jesus has placed peace placed on him, it is his to give away. And guess what Jesus does with the peace that's placed on him? He places it on you. My peace I give to you, and my peace I live with you, not as the world gives, because the world's going to give you a shaky, unsteady, unpredictable type of peace, but God wants to give you a stabilizing peace, that when everything else is shaking, everything else is uncertain, that this is the one thing that you can count on that will not depend on your circumstances, it will settle you in every circumstance. My peace I give to you, and my peace I leave with you, not like the world gives. Now, if you're listening, hopefully you're at the point where you're like, great, I want that. That piece, I want it. Whatever, how do I get that? And as I was studying this, I actually, I was asking God, I was like, God, what, what does it look like for us to actually receive that piece? How do we receive it? 
And the Lord spoke to me and he simply said this. The Lord said that the way that you can receive the peace of God is by realizing and understanding that the things that trouble you don't trouble me. And what I mean by that, I do not mean that the things that concern you don't concern him. He cares for you. I mean the things that worry you don't worry him. The things that trouble you don't trouble him. I was terrified of flying growing up. Like every single time that I got on a plane, I just thought morbid, but I thought I was going down. It was just like game over. And because of that, I, um, every time I got on a plane, I would like try and fall asleep as fast as possible so that I was just like unconscious for the whole flight. And I just started looking up all of these things, like how to know when a plane is crashing. I would like Google it, like that would save me, right? Like I'm going down anyway. But I was like, how to know if a plane is crashing? Because when turbulence hit, I was like, this is it. This is, yeah, it's game over. And like every time the pilot would say like, please turn on your, that worked perfectly. Please turn on your seatbelts, fasten your seatbelt signs now, right? I would be like, oh, this is it. He's telling us to fasten our seatbelts because we're all dying. And if you're telling me, like, no, you're comfortable flying, the reason I don't like flying is because I don't understand flying. You're going to tell me it's the law of lift. What does that even mean? I don't know what that means, and neither do you. I don't understand it, so I don't like it. I don't like flying. And as, but I had to get used to it, right? So I'm getting used to flying. And the worst thing is you're on a flight, and you ever have the, the, uh, the pilot say over the intercom, Flight attendants, please take your jump seats. That is the worst. Because I'm like, if they have to sit down, it was, right? <laughs> I'm just venting at this point. You'll pray for me for the spirit of fear to be lifted. But and as I was researching all this stuff about like flight attendants, I got this article is teaching you like this is how you understand like planes never crash because of turbulence. And if that's not true, don't tell me. It helps me. But that's what I think. And one of the articles said what you can do to give you some uh, like uh, some confidence on a plane is that whenever you're worried, all you got to do is look at the flight attendants. Because whenever I was freaking out on a plane, I would always just like look inside myself and start spiraling. And I would just always assume the worst. And the article was saying if you look at the flight attendants, then if they're not worried, then you don't need to be worried. Because they've been here before, they're experts, they know what they're doing. And so if they aren't concerned about the flight, then you don't need to be concerned about the flight. So I took that on myself, and as soon as the fasten seatbelt goes on, I go straight to the flight attendant. And I'm like, are we good? If we're good, then I'm good. And I was thinking about flying, and every time I think about this analogy, I just think about the same thing. That I was like, man, if they've been here before, they're experts, they know what they're doing. If they're not worried, then I don't have to be worried. And the same thing applies to Jesus. The things that trouble you don't trouble him. And we can look when turbulence shows up in our lives and we can say, instead of looking inward and spiraling down, I'm going to look to the one who's been here before, the expert. He knows what he's doing. And if he's not worried, then I don't need to be worried. And let me tell you, Jesus isn't worried ever. One of the most chaotic moments in the disciples' lives is in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus tells them, we're going to the other side. They're going across this sea, and as they're in the boat, waves are crashing, the wind is storming, and all of the sudden, Jesus is asleep on a cushion. Disciples get mad at him. They're trying to bail water out of the boat. They're freaking out, and as they're freaking out, they go and wake up Jesus, and they're like, don't you care that we're suffering? 
Like we're trying to stay alive here. Jesus wakes up all annoyed. He goes up to the winds and the waves. And it says in Mark chapter four, he says, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this then that even the winds and the sea obey him? Peace be still. And Jesus then rebukes the disciples for being worried. See, I don't think that Jesus did that for any reason. I think he did it for a very specific reason. I don't think that Jesus wanted to tell the winds and the waves peace. I don't think Jesus even wanted the disciples to tell the winds and the waves peace. The reason Jesus was frustrated, I believe, is that Jesus wanted the disciples to have peace in the midst of the winds and the waves. And because they didn't have peace, he was saying, why are you so afraid? Where has your faith gone? Jesus is trying to teach them a lesson in faith here. He's saying, I don't want to tell the storm to be at peace. I don't even want you to tell the storm to be at peace. I want you to be at peace in the storm. And if you were at peace in the storm, you would just model me and realize if I'm sleeping, I'm not worried, so you don't have to be. The things that trouble us don't trouble him. And he says, peace, be still. And I believe he's saying the same thing to us today. Peace, be still. And the words used for peace here are actually two different words. There's one he uses in Mark chapter 4 and one he uses in John 14. And they're actually two different words. One in Mark chapter 4 is when he actually calms the winds and the waves. And this word is actually um, siopao, uh, which means a, more like a hush or a be quiet. So when Jesus says peace, be still, he's more saying to the winds and the waves, shh, be quiet. It's more of a rebuke to the winds and the waves. And that's why they were so amazed. They're like, man, he can rebuke the wind and the waves? Who is this guy? But then you go to John 14, our original text, and the word where Jesus says, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, is this word actually, um, irene, which means a calm or a tranquility. And what this word actually infers is this word is more of an invitation to peace. And why I believe that some of us are frustrated and not experiencing the full peace that Jesus has to offer you is because we are expecting and wanting God to give us a siopao peace and not an irene peace. We're looking for God to force us to be peaceful instead of inviting us into peace. And because God is not making you at peace, you think that God doesn't want you to have peace. But God is saying, I'm not a God who forces you to be peaceful and rebukes you into peace. I'm a God that invites you into peace. Why? Because God does not see you as a storm to calm. He sees you as a child to love. How many of us, if our child is crying and freaking out, we're going to rebuke them in a peace? Hey, stop being so worried. 
No. And how many of us are going to open our arms and say, come here, everything is okay. I want to invite you into peace. And in the same way, the father is not going to rebuke you and say, how dare you? You need to figure out how to be peaceful, which is probably what some of us want to God to do. Is God, just place peace on me. Just force me to be peaceful. When he is not forcing you, he's inviting you. If some of us don't have peace, sometimes it's because we project peace wrong places. We put peace where, where, where peace can't stay. And this is what I call placing saving weight in sinful places. We expect a sinful place, a fleshly, worldly place to be able to carry peace. And then when it doesn't carry peace, then we lose our peace and we get, get mad at God that we have no peace. And God is saying, you can't be mad at me because I never placed peace there. I never placed peace on that person. I never placed peace on that job. I placed peace in me. It's mine. I give it to you. And when you get frustrated that you don't have peace over there, he's saying that's because I never placed it there because that place couldn't even hold up peace. It would only disappoint you. And I need you to come to me for peace because if you didn't need me for peace, you wouldn't even come to me ever. God says, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave to you, not as the world gives, because he is inviting you into peace, not rebuking you into it. It's my peace I give to you. It's my peace I leave with you. And when we start to place peace in wrong places, we will inevitably be disappointed. Why? Because this kind of peace only comes through the Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches us, he will teach you to remember everything that I have taught you. John 14, the Holy Spirit, the helper, he will teach you. He will help you remember everything that I have taught you. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And the Holy Spirit ushers in this biblical peace. And this biblical peace, even what we're talking about, the, the hope and the joy and the mercy that we've been talking about, all these fruits of the Spirit, it's so interesting to me that we can want the fruits of the Spirit, including peace, without the help of the Spirit. And we think that we're going to get joy by changing our perspective, we're going to get self-control by trying harder, and we're going to have peace by taking a few more deep breaths. When in reality, he's saying that is not how you get those things. And the reason I think that we try so hard to get those things is because we think that those are requirements for Christians. And if things are requirements for Christians, then I'm going to follow the rules. But these fruits of the Spirit, including peace, they are not requirements of Christians. They are fruits and results of the Holy Spirit. And if they are requirements, I'm going to follow the rules. If they're results, I'm going to follow him. Where do you get your peace? Because he has it and he wants to deliver it to you. The Holy Spirit is the one who ushers in a peace. And Isaiah chapter 26 mentions this simple reality. That he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him. Why? Because he trusts in you. When we set our minds on Jesus and we stop projecting peace places, what I believe that we do is that we start discerning the desires of Jesus. And what it means to discern the desires of Jesus is to know that Jesus wants something for you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. He has a desire and a will for your life. 
And if you want to discern the desire of Jesus for your life, I want to encourage you to do one thing. Ask him a question, but don't accuse him with a question. One simple question that I found so helpful when I need to discern the desire of Jesus for my life and agree with him and whatever he has for me is I ask this simple question. God, what are you doing? Not accusing him, inquiring of him. Lord, what are you doing in this? Because you have something in this for me, but I don't know what it is. And so I need you to help me understand what are you doing now? And all of a sudden, it takes our eyes off of ourselves and places them back rightly on the person of Jesus. And that is when we experience Isaiah 26. He will keep us then in perfect peace, whose minds are stayed on him because he trusts in you. God, what are you doing? Because as we open ourselves up to this Prince of Peace, Now, by the help of the Holy Spirit, we get to engage in the peace that he really has for us. The peace that God gives only comes through the Holy Spirit. I bought a new phone a few months ago. Spent way too much money on it. And uh, when I did, I was updating the phone. And I looked on the phone and it said in my updates, um, you have uh, three free months of Apple TV+. Plus." And I was like, oh, great. Thanks, Apple. But it had expired. And so I was like, well, thanks, Apple. (laughs) Right? I was like, why didn't you give me some kind of push notification to let me know that I had three free months of Apple TV Plus? Because if I had known, then I probably would have used it. But because I didn't know, I didn't use it. And I feel like I might be here to tell one person one thing today, that God has a peace for you And this, consider this your push notification to your spirit, that now you have the peace of God, so use it. In a way that I didn't know I had access to Apple TV Plus in three free months, you cannot leave this room and say, I didn't know I had access to the peace of God. No, now you do. And the God of the universe is saying, if you are aware for it, now ask it. If now you know about it, now use it. And some of us live below our calling as Christians just because we don't open the gifts that God has made readily available to us. And we live underneath and all of a sudden we're, 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 we're condemned. And when we're condemned to open the gift, what we need to do is we need to open the gift of grace and say, no, 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 no. Now there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if our family is struggling, we don't just say, oh man, it is what it is. I guess holidays are going to be tough. We open the gift of intercession. If we're being attacked spiritually, we don't say, man, I guess I'll wait till Sunday. I open the gift of spiritual warfare and I start battling in the spirit. Why? Because this is what it means to discern the desires of God, to ask God, what are you doing? And then participate with him is simply this. You are living a spirit-filled life. And you cannot open the gift of peace without the Holy Spirit. He's offering it to us. And he's holding it out to us. And he's saying, now, this biblical peace that I want for you to have, I'm believing that as you understand it, that it is given to you freely as a gift that Jesus himself holds it out for you. That we won't just understand it, but we will apply it. 
And maybe for some of us, we just need the reminder or the revelation that today, now I know, like I didn't know about the Apple TV Plus, now I know I have the peace of God readily available to me. So I'm going to use it. Ephesians, as our close, teaches one of, I think, the most beautiful realities of the peace of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. It says, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise and having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, You who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, you can have peace because you can say, I know him. And I know that he knows the end from the beginning. And he spoke to me, don't be troubled. Have peace. I'm giving it to you freely. And Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility that sin created and separated us from him. And there was a moment in time where Jesus died on the cross and he split the curtain. And now anybody who would come to Jesus and repent from their sins and believe in Jesus is the only one who can forgive your sins. The only one who can bring you close to the Father. The only hope that you ever have in the world. That one man, Jesus, he says, you Come to me. And when you come to me, you'll realize that I have more power. And if I could break down the dividing wall of hostility that was an eternal issue, what makes you think that I can't solve your temporary issue? I tore down sin, I defeated the grave. Death has no power over you anymore because of what I did. And now you think that one measly issue of peace in your life or issue in your family or mental health that you struggle with would separate you from my peace? I'm not making them small. I'm trying to make Jesus bigger for you. He's saying that I am so big. I destroyed sin. There's nothing that can separate you from my peace. And if you would come to me, you would realize from the beginning, I've been offering you peace. And it's not just something that he holds in his hand and he throws down to earth and says, pick it up if you want it. Engage in this beautiful idea of peace. But he says, no, I am peace. It's not just something that I do. This is someone that I am. And I want to say to you that as soon as you follow Jesus, you're going to have a perfect life and everything is going to go perfect for you and nothing's ever going to go wrong ever again. But that's not the promise that Jesus has. And I don't want to misinterpret him for you. I don't want you to misunderstand peace because truthfully, the peace that God describes is not a life free from problems. It's a life full of Jesus. Because peace is not The absence of problems. It is the presence of Jesus. 
And if he is there, he himself being our peace, he's saying that no matter where you are, peace is not there. I'm here. This is Advent. Jesus has come. This is what we're celebrating. I couldn't get to him, so he came to me. And if he came to me, that means that peace is here. And those of us who were once far away from him, with no hope in the world, I don't know why Paul issues this point so hard. He just keeps hammering it home, and it almost hurts my feelings. Because from the beginning, he says this, remember... You were separated from Christ. Remember, you were alienated from Israel. Remember, you were strangers to the covenant. Remember, you had no hope. Remember. And then he says, but remember, Jesus Christ is your hope. And Jesus Christ is your peace. And as far away as you have ever felt from him, he's saying, he has come close to you. Now I don't have to look somewhere else for my peace. Because he himself brought peace, not in an idea, not in a law, not in a prophet, but in the person of Jesus Christ. And now I have peace with God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I have the peace of God. Because peace is here. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you so much. And Lord, we want the peace of God in our lives. I, I, I want to pray for us just for a few minutes. And if there's, I'm praying for two people, two people. One who need the peace with God. You need to be saved by God. You need salvation in your life. And you need to give your life to Jesus. And I want to pray for another group of people, the people who need the peace of God, who are saying, my life as it is, it's not right. And I haven't opened the gift. Jesus gave it to me, but I'm not engaging in it. But I really, really need the supernatural peace of God that is ushered in by the Holy Spirit in my life. And I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. And if you're in this room and you're saying, I need the peace of God in my life, the specific, contextualized, all-surpassing, the peace that passes understanding in my life, the peace of God exactly where I am right now, I want to pray for you. And if that's you, I want you as a sign of faith to stand up so I can pray with you. If you're in this room right now and you're saying, I need the peace of God, I want you to stand up. You're saying, I I need it. I know I'm saved. I love him. He loves me. I love him. He loves me. I know that I have the peace with God. I know that I need the peace of God in my life. Because the way my life is going, the way that I'm leading it, the way that I'm doing, it's not working. And Lord, you see every heart, you see every hand, Lord, you see every struggle, and you see every person, you see every family, you see every job, and Lord, you said that there will come a time where you will wipe away every tear from every eye, and you will draw close to us, and there will be a point where we will come into the joy of our master, and you will do what you have always planned to do, and we will be in joy with you forever, and Lord, until we get to that place, 
You see these people more clearly than I do, more clearly than their family does, more clearly than their bosses do, more clearly than their friends do. And Holy Spirit, you are a better minister than I am. Would you see them and would you touch them in the same way, Lord, that you saw the leper and you touched him and in a moment he was healed? I'm asking by the Spirit of God that you would see these hearts, you would see these minds, and you would touch them. And by the Spirit of God, and in the name of Jesus, peace of God would flood their soul. And as they breathe in, and as they breathe out, the peace of God would be ushered in. Holy Spirit, do the work. Holy Spirit, touch a heart. And would you minister, Lord? Make us aware to the peace. Make us aware to the peace. Make us aware to the peace that has been freely given, but it came at such a high cost. God, anoint them with your peace. And we rebuke any word of the enemy that is trying to accuse their peace, that is trying to steal the peace, that is trying to choke out the peace. But by the Spirit of God, would you be their keeper? And would you keep them, Lord, in perfect peace as their minds are stayed on you? Why, Lord? Because they trust you. Lord, we throw off any idols that we have placed our peace in. And we choose, Lord, for you to be our peace. And if there's anyone else in this room who's saying, man, I I might need the peace of God, but really what I need is I need peace with God. He's sitting in this room, he's saying, I'm not close with him. I'm not forgiven by him. I don't have a relationship with him, but I need a relationship with him. I want you to make that same decision. If that's you in this room or watching online, you're saying, I need peace with God. I need to be saved. I want you to take the same step of faith and I want you to stand up. That's you in this room. You're saying, I need peace with God. That's me. I know I feel it in my spirit. There's something that's not right. And I need the peace of God, the peace with God to invade my life and reconcile me to him. And that's you in this room or watching online. I want you to pray this with me in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for sinning against you. And I choose to turn away from sin. And I choose to forsake any other thing that I've placed my peace in. I choose this day to have you be my peace. I believe in Jesus, that he came to earth and he died for my sins, and that he died on a cross, and he was laid in a tomb for three days. And on the third day, he was risen from the dead, proving he is exactly who he said that he was. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my heart. Make me new and make me like you. I invite the peace with God. And I thank you that Jesus, you made me a friend when I was an enemy. We love you, Father. And thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you just made that decision... If you just made that decision to follow Jesus for the first time, or maybe you weren't following Jesus before, and now you made that decision, I want to say congratulations. Jesus Christ has changed my life forever, 
and for the better. And I truly believe he's going to do the same thing for you. Pastor AJ is going to be up here in a minute to give you some more information on that decision and what that practically means. But I want to say the peace of God, it's for you. He loves you so much more than you know. And as we open that gift, we receive his peace that only he can give. I believe that it will invade your heart and you will experience the peace that Paul talks about in Philippians. This is the peace that surpasses understanding.